0: What I've learned over the years is that actually for a community to be be successful, we all have to see ourselves as having a part in it. It can't just be the community manager doing all of the communitying. It's got to be like other staff members, members of the community stepping up into leadership roles. It's a team sport. So yeah, just over the years, I've kind of stepped out of that tactical work and more into teaching the principles and all that. And I think like i was saying the big shift in my work and my approach to it is that i didn't think i was qualified to teach those things i'm like thinking somebody else will teach people those principles like it's too hard to teach anybody how to do these things and i'm not the right person to do it especially given i'm a pretty i'm still a pretty quiet introverted person i'm just like i'm not the person to do it and then i thought you know what no one else is doing this in the way that i do it and i actually am qualified to teach all this <laughs> and If we really want people to learn these skills, then we've got to teach them the principles.
1: Hey, friends, this is your host, Cesar Romero, and you're listening to Beyond the Job Title Podcast, the show that explores the human experiences that shape our professional and personal lives. My guest for this episode is Carrie Melissa Jones. She's an entrepreneur author, researcher, and advisor to community-led businesses. She has helped hundreds of organizations build thriving online communities, including companies like Airbnb, Google, Microsoft, Project Management Institute, two US presidential campaigns, and small businesses and nonprofits. She is also the author of the book, Building Brand Communities with Charles Vogel. And it's one of my favorite books around how to build a community for your business. I met Carrie when she was the founding partner and COO for CMX Media, which is a community for community builders that provided training events and programs for community builders. And I quickly resonated with Carrie because she is one of those people that truly cares about her craft. She's authentic and her mission is to help people feel a sense of belonging and I I resonate with that so much. And in this episode, we have a conversation around her career journey. How did she stumble upon community management? What her mission is in the community management field, approach to making connections, unexpected lessons that have come up throughout her career we talk a little bit about what it takes to go into consulting advice for community managers. Overall, it's an amazing conversation with my good friend Carrie, and we share invaluable insights and experiences from her community management journey. So if you are someone that is a community manager, or you're building a community led business, then this episode is for you. And please don't forget to subscribe so that you don't miss out any future episodes. Thanks so much for joining. And here's my conversation with my friend, Kerry. Carrie. Carrie, thanks so much for joining us on the show. I appreciate you taking the time. I, I wanted to start off by asking you if someone were to, uh, were to meet you on the street and were to ask you, hey, Kerry, who are you and what mission are you on? What would be the person that that comes to mind.
0: Yeah. So I usually sum this up as I'm on a mission to help everyone feel that they have a place to belong. So that's what's important to me. And I don't care whether that place is digital or in person in in their neighborhood. Some people find that, some people don't. I want to enable more people to to have that feeling of belonging and connection in their lives.
1: Why was that important to you? Was there a pivotal moment in your life that made you decide this is what I want to help people with.
0: Uh, we're going right in, in, into this.
1: Right into it. God, I love
0: it. Uh, I mean, I think I know it's important to me because we often try to resolve the problems that we have felt in the past. And growing up, I definitely felt like an outsider in a lot of ways. I was a very quiet kid and teenager, and I did not know how to talk to people at all. I was just, very quiet. And I did have friends, but I felt like there was like a boundary or a block there. Um and I found that I was actually able to finally open up and get to know people and allow people to know me on a really deep level when I discovered online communities actually. So it was not in person that <laughs> I felt safe. And I joined a bunch of music forums. This would have been in the late 90s, early 2000s and made friends Through those communities that really got me through some of the hardest times in my youth. And yeah, just saw that that was possible to do from an early age. Of course, I didn't think that was my career path. I was like, oh, that was a fun thing that I did when I was 15, 16, whenever, however old I was. And I thought I would go into, I always loved writing and things like that. So I thought I would go into publishing or editing, but I found myself. Even when I worked in publishing for a little while, and even in the challenges that would come up in publishing, there weren't enough experts to create content for the books that we were creating and things like that. The solutions to me were always about collaboration and community building. And so I realized in hindsight, oh, I always have this lens of how can we connect to be more powerful together? And so I didn't know community management was a job. I didn't know that was something I could do. I actually, like my job titles, when I moved from publishing into the startup world, I had a, I forget now even what my job title was. It was something like, it was a sales territory manager is what it was. It was like a sales role. Uh, I was more like a recruiter uh, and content or editorial manager, things like that. But I discovered I was in, in the Bay Area in California at the time. And I discovered that there were people like at companies that I really admired, like Pinterest, or Lyft or Airbnb, who had this job title of community manager and seemed to be doing like really cool things like meetups and just talking to the customers and uh, getting to know them better. And so I discovered there was a a small group um, run by one of my now friends. And I started to attend that and everything just, this is a job that I can do. I can't believe this. And I still remember I went to the first meetup I went to, I was so nervous to go I promised myself, I'm just going to go. I'm going to talk to one person. And <laughs> that's all I'm going to do. And so I went, I had one conversation, and then I left because I was just so nervous. And, and then I went the next time, and it felt like a lot more. I had figured out Twitter by this time, so I met people ahead of time on Twitter. I was like, I'm going to be there tonight, like, making sure I didn't back out at the last minute. And I remember like having a dinner with somebody I was dating at the time afterwards, and I was like, this is my job forever after. This is what I'm going to do. I just knew. That was what I was passionate about. So I've been doing that ever since. And then later on, actually years after that, I was like, oh, I've actually been doing this a really long time. I've always been doing this. So I didn't make that connection until later. But looking back now, it's pretty obvious. (laughs) It was (laughs) not at the time.
1: Do you remember the the name of the first meeting that you stumbled upon? What was it about that experience that made you feel a sense of connection, a sense of belonging?
0: there were there was a couple so i and they they don't exist anymore these music forums they were mostly around some of the bands that i really liked at the time like taking back sunday or like all these emo <laughs> bands and it's interesting because i discovered all of them because my dad was trying to teach me how to play guitar actually and so i was trying to find music sheets online mm. that i could use to practice that was not as successful <laughs> Way too frustrating to have your dad be like, this is really easy to do. Uh, and you're like, no, it's not. Anyway, so I was looking for the practical. And this is how often how people come to communities. They're like, I'm looking for a very practical thing. And then I found out there were people who were answering questions about the sheet music and like how to make it your own, how to make it better. And then I discovered the general or like off topic areas. And I was like, oh, these are like teenagers like me. And they were talking about like, Bad dates that they had been on, or like their swim meet that they had just won a medal in. I was like, these are people. Like, <laughs> I can't believe this. I just remember thinking, like, I want to be part of these conversations, or I want a place where I can also share these things and I can also celebrate or laugh alongside these people and their like embarrassing stories and all that. So that's what it was. Is I had come to the pra- for the practical, and then saw that there was like much deeper things happening, and mm-hmm. then became a moderator in those communities and stuck around for a few years until I didn't like those bands anymore. None of us actually, in the, it looked like, like the bands anymore. By the end of it, we were just friends at that point. So, yeah. That.
1: Yeah. That's how most of the to me. It's like yeah. t- typically a personal interest or a topic or a personal problem.
0: Yeah. Uh, and
1: that's how I found one of the communities that had a profound impact on me. And I actually ended up working at the company. It was a travel oh, yeah. startup. Uh, but it all started because I wanted to travel. And it just happens that the, the community was just getting started. And the founder was like, yeah, when you help." Uh, I started getting involved in the meetups in the country. <laughs> yeah. It took me into this, like, eight-year journey of building a travel community. I think,
0: yeah. Right? Isn't it wild thinking it, about
1: it? It is wild. Yeah. It is it's- wild. What? So you've been helping the community, right? The creators, businesses for yeah. over two years now.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, what have been some of the unexpected lessons that have come up throughout, throughout okay. this journey?
0: So many. I'm constantly learning. I've been consulting alone for nine years now. I was just doing some reflecting on that. And I, was, I started out in-house, moved into a community consultant role, which now I'm seeing at the time there was like, five of us. <laughs> and now there's like just so many community consultants and they'll have different specialties and, and things like that. But I think for me, looking back on that journey, the biggest thing that's changed over that time, actually the work itself has not changed much. The, the work of community building, the principles are all the same. The tools are different, of course, like Discord didn't exist back then right. or uh, Slack even. Uh, those early days of Slack would have been right around then. And so I think I was really focused on the tactical at the time and thinking like there was no system in place. And I just had to, the only thing I could offer people was like doing it for them, building community for them. But the truth is, what I've learned over the years is that actually, for a community to be, to be successful, we all have to see ourselves as having a part in it. It can't just be the community manager doing all of the communitying, it's got to be like other staff members members of the community, stepping up into leadership roles. It's a team sport. So yeah, just over the years, I've kind of stepped out of that tactical work and more into teaching the principles and all that. And I think, like I was saying, the big shift in my work and my approach to it is that I didn't think I was qualified to teach those things. I'm like thinking somebody else will teach people those principles. Like it's too hard to teach anybody how to do these things. And I'm not the right person to do it. Especially given I'm a pretty, I'm still a pretty quiet introverted person. I'm just like, I'm not the person to do it. And then I thought, you know what? No one else is doing this in the way that I do it. And I actually am qualified to teach all this. <laughs> and if we really want people to learn these skills, then we've got to teach them the principles. It's like a, a matter of copy pasting versus knowing how to do the work and write the piece. I think that's been one of the big shifts for me. And one of the big lessons is that. Nobody else is going to do the thing that you want to do in the way that you want to do it. So you might as well just get over yourself and stop telling yourself that you're not the one to do it and, and practice that. And if you need a coach through it or mentors through it, then yeah, so do we all. So find yes. that. Um,
1: a couple of things that's in my here. One is that i I'd gone through your accelerator program Yeah. and you, you and your team taught me that you can be strategic for building community. It's not just about being the weeds.
0: Because
1: um, yeah. I, I tend to be able to towards doing the groundwork work because yeah. that's, I don't know, that's how I learned to to build community. But when I took your course, I realized, wait a minute, you can be strategic. Like you, you can just have a, like an overall vision. Mm-hmm. And that was super insightful. So thanks for doing the work and putting it out there. And the second thing that comes out here, and it's something that's Share, I want to make sure, send my notes here. I read let on your Instagram, you share something about the many years you played a small, right? Often mm. to find a leader that you look up to and give you the answers. Yeah. Um, and that resonated with me because in many ways, I still feel like I am that person that is trying to find a leader or someone to give me the yeah. answers, even with parenting. <laughs> but I've been so disappointed every time I try to find that leader. yeah. And I'm starting to come to terms that the one that has the answers is me. Hmm. So I was curious about that. What prompted that for you? And was there a specific experience that made you realize that, hey, no one's going to give you the answers but me?
0: Yeah, I think it's accumulation of a couple of things. One is... I think for a long time, I, I looked up to many people uh, early in my career. And I mean, early in my life, we all put people up on a pedestal. And even thought leaders, I still do it with Brene Brown, for example. I'm just like, she must be a perfect human being. And, and I even totally. though she says in her writing, I am I deal with this stuff too. It's hard. You just don't believe it. You're like, oh, well. But I'm sure if I were to meet Brene ba- Brown, I would find things about her that I didn't want to emulate. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's because she's a human being. And so am I and so are you and there are always like bits and pieces of lessons that we can take from people but I think what I did for a long time was just think oh if I can just be more like this person then I will be better or like I will be the kind of leader that that they are but and, and having my own personal experiences with I had joined I, I worked on uh, building CMX for a number of years four years or so and for a long time I was like my my business partner david he has all the answers no he doesn't but i would defer to him for things and i just be like he must know and i'm like mm, no he don't and just like seeing him as a person and it's not fair to hold people up on pedestals like that and and so like seeing that up close and then also now consulting too i work with a lot of executive leaders and again you have this impression like oh they know what they're doing they have conviction they have vision they know how to navigate situations again no They don't. I mean, they will often hold a vision. If they're great leaders, they'll hold a vision. They'll hold values. But they make mistakes too. And and I think I work with a lot of leaders and the conversations I prompt tend to be very vulnerable conversations. And they also don't. They don't know the answers and they know they don't know the answers. And so again, holding those people up on a pedestal is doing them a disservice. And it means that you're playing small because you're playing like, someone's going to tell me what to do and they're not. And actually... They would be better served if you said what you felt conviction about. And so, yeah, I think that a combination of my, my work history and all that. And then I also went through an incredible year-long coaching program with her name's Tanya Geisler. She focuses specifically on like the, she calls it the imposter complex, not imposter syndrome because it's not a medical diagnosis. So and she, I, it, it transformed how I step up and lead in the world. And one of the things that she taught all of us is that, is this idea that leaders are humans. And one of the cycles that she really brought, illuminated for me that I was doing is you pick a person, you idolize them, then you find out that they're a human being. And then you're like, I don't like that person anymore. I'm going to tear them down. Oh, man. (laughs) And I'm like, (laughs) I don't do that. And then I thought about it for a little while. And I was like, oh, no, I do. I do. I do. I do that. (laughs) But We do it to ourselves too, is the thing. We're like, okay, I can achieve this or I can be this kind of person. And then we see, actually, it's not that easy. (laughs) I'm going to be tested. I'm going to make mistakes. I'm going to be bad at this sometimes. And then we're like, then I won't even bother or we'll tear ourselves down. But if instead we hold each other with grace, I think that's actually what we need more of in the world. So yeah, that's my long-winded answer (laughs) to that question.
1: Definitely not low-winded and definitely resonates with especially putting people on a pedestal because I've done that before and I've been disappointed <laughs> when I get to meet them in person and not in a bad way it's more of, oh I thought you were a superhero yeah but you're just human like me yeah. and you just happen to be more bold or courageous than me so I think that's important too to keep in mind it's like you can do you can be the leader that you want to see in the world. You don't need nobody's permission. No yeah. To step into that, even though yeah. it might be scary, right?
0: It will be. Because the moment you start saying what you believe and 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 standing behind it is the moment people will question you. And so you've really got to believe in, in what you believe in. Yeah. And know that you'll probably question yourself plenty on that journey. And that's that is the journey.
1: I am questioning myself this day.
0: Yeah. Good, then you're doing it.
1: You mentioned when you engage in consulting, right, you create this environment where leaders or whomever you're consulting with, they feel that they can share be honest, transparent. What's your approach to engaging with clients, businesses to to create this environment and have a successful relationship, right? Especially for those community managers out there that might be considering, hey, I think I should, I want to try consulting, right? But they, Mm. they don't want They don't
0: know how to approach it. Yeah, it's a really good question. And I don't think it's, I feel like this is actually holding these brave spaces and vulnerable conversations is one of the things I just personally know I can do better than anyone else. I'll just be totally (laughs) braggy, (laughs) whatever about it, because I've worked on that really hard. And so that's not going to be right for every community consultant. You might not want to host those spaces. You might just want to get into the weeds and do the work. And so I think just for that, Part of the question you were asking about as a consultant. Well, I don't think all consultants need to to do that. But that is our unique thing that we bring to the table is we're not just going to create a strategy for you. We're going to figure out the underlying problems that explain why you haven't had a strategy up to this point. Hmm. And also going to figure out the problems that are going to stop you from implementing the strategy because they're almost always leadership problems. And those leadership problems must get resolved through conversation. That's like my unique... Approach to that, and not everyone must do that. If you're enticed by that work, if that sounds really interesting to you, then in terms of like how we do it, I think there's a couple of things, and they're all community principles, really. One of them is making the purpose and uh, values of our gatherings together really clear from the beginning and repeating them every time we meet. So whenever I kick off a client engagement, We go over, here's what we're here to do. Here's what we're not here to do, what we will not do for you and what we'll not do together. Here are our, we have a couple principles that we talk about. One of them is the principle of unconditional positive regard, which is something I learned from a facilitator named Adam Kahane. And it's this idea that no matter what you bring to me, I don't care what it is. I'm always going to assume the best from you even if that brings up things for me, we're going to work through it together. I believe that we can do this. So we established that from the very, very beginning. I used to talk about radical candor as the thing that we did, which is like this idea that we care about each other personally, but we challenge each other directly. Mm -hmm. But I think radical candor can often come off as there's almost an impatience about it. Like I must tell you all the things that I'm not happy about right now or whatever. Whereas I think unconditional positive regard is, well, I am going to still give you feedback where I think it will help you, but I'm only going to do so because I believe that you can take this in and do good with it. So anyway, I just, that's one of the things that we talk about. Another one is oops, ouch, whoa, which is another facilitation technique. So we tell people if at any point during any of our meetings, you can say oops, ouch, or woe, if things are going sideways. So oops. I didn't mean to say that, or I'd like to take that back, whatever it might be. Ouch is like something someone else said hurt me, or like I'm having a reaction to it. I'm feeling defensive. And then whoa is we need to slow down and talk about this thing. So these are just two of the the kind of things that we tell our clients. And then at the beginning of all of our sessions, we always do check-ins. We do like the traffic light, red, green kind of thing, and we model the... Honest sharing there. So it's I'm currently seven and a half months pregnant right now. So I'm having trouble breathing even though this conversation. And so I'll say I'm having trouble breathing today. <laughs> so if you notice that I'm like trying to catch my breath, that's why. But here are the things I'm feeling green about and all that. So anyway, those structures are all really important in the meetings. And then yeah, being brave enough to bring up and call out things that you're noticing. So when I work with leadership teams. I'm often just listening to them talk to each other and then I'll notice something and say, I'm noticing some resistance there or I'm seeing a look on your face, Andy, or whatever. You look really stressed out by this conversation. Can we stop for a moment and talk about that? So I'm just, I'm in this mode of listening 90% of the time instead of telling people what to do, which can be frustrating because <laughs> if I want to tell people what to do a lot, but that's not how things get done. And I, that's a big lesson for me. From the last nine years, like you can't just tell people what to do; they won't do it. They will not do it. <laughs> They've got to come to their own realizations about it. So, anyway, that to answer your question, I think those are some of the structures that we put in place in the spaces, the, the principles of the spaces that I hold.
1: So you set the ground rules from the beginning, yeah, and and, and that sets the tone for the rest of the yeah. Do you understand?
0: We set them, not the client. We set them. And then... Yeah.
1: Yeah, and what you said there about helping the clients come to their own conclusion, I think that's so important, right? Because yeah. I'm the same way too. Like, I want to tell people what to do. I know. That's because <laughs> hey, sure. I have experience with many. I know you need this.
0: Yeah, totally. Mm-hmm. They're like, no, I don't get it. Yeah. But
1: what you said there about they have to come to their own conclusions because all, there are all these underlying emotions yes. or challenges that mm-hmm. you might not be aware of. Yep, And yeah, that's, I guess going beyond the, the tactical advice is always important. Yeah. Um. Now, is, is there any difference that, that they've noticed working with, let's say, solopreneurs, creators, and big enterprises? Um, Why are some of the, I guess, two princesses, any, when it comes There's to. There's so many. Super <laughs>
0: There's so many, and it's. As a business owner, I'm like, I think I need to pick a lane eventually, but I'm not. I like both groups so much. Um, I would say the biggest difference is that large organizations get caught up in bureaucracy and there's a lot more buy-in that's needed. And then working with solopreneurs and founders and why I really like to do this is because they move really fast and they're able to implement right away. And then they can immediately say, this is how I'm feeling about that. The thing that I implemented versus... In a corporation, they might be like, I feel like they're really well, but we're waiting on the data analysis and <laughs> we're having trouble with BI and like a business intelligence and connecting our system. So I actually don't know if it was successful or not. And my boss is telling me he needs the data or she needs the data. And I, I don't know if this is working or not. And so you'll spin wheels for weeks at a time. But once something is implemented, the impact tends to be like you work with a company that serves 100 million people having a huge impact. So that's really satisfying, but it does take a long time. And that's one of the principles of community building is th- that it happens in human time. We have to be patient with it. It's if you want quick results, stick to your ad marketing. <laughs> if you want long-term sustainable results and relationships that will get you through the hardest times in your business and life, then build community. But if you're really impatient with that, it's not going to work out.
1: Yeah. I think that's what I gravitate towards working with. So entrepreneurs, yeah. creators, yeah. things more yeah. quicker. Yeah. And with enterprises, right? It's a, not just slower, but also I feel like community suffers a lot because they, have- they want to see the ROI yeah. like immediately.
0: It's it does. Like, yeah.
1: It takes a little bit of time to, to build a community, right? Mm-hmm. And sometimes they, they might have a different objective than the revenue or yeah. profit one, right? So yeah, thanks yeah. for sharing your insights there. Yeah. I wanted to touch on 2023 has been an interesting year, right? Up with the burnout, okay. job insecurity, layoffs, and all the uncertainty, right, that has accumulated. Yeah. Uh, In a wider to get your perspective on how to navigate the the difficult conversations that that might come up, especially when you are managing a community or, or even for yourself, right? Uh, what advice would you have for other community managers out there?
0: Yeah, when you say difficult conversations, like with who and Yeah, So
1: difficult conversations within that community, right? Like many people are sharing, hey, I'm burned out or hey, I got it all, or whatever might come up, right? In that, in that specific community.
0: Yeah. um, I mean, I I run a community of community managers for the accelerator program. And um, I think it's really important that we have spaces to talk about and have those conversations. They'll sometimes come up organically in like a online community forum kind of thing. But oftentimes we need to actually actively create the space for them. So for for me, what that looks like is we hold space for those conversations. In a we have every other week we meet live and we often end up talking about emotional stuff, not about the actual work of community building. Although that is the actual work in my opinion. Yeah. Or like we need to actively elicit that kind of sharing saying, what are your biggest challenges right now? What are you struggling with? And so, yeah, there needs to be a space for it versus it just being a free for all because anxiety and well, actually all emotions are contagious and they're contagious digitally too. There's been social science research that explores this concept and emotions can be passed digitally. So if you have a community where everyone's just saying, say you're like a job search community and everyone's, I give up. This is too hard, like all that. It's going to affect everyone else in the community. So that's why you need a container for it. Um, so it doesn't affect the culture of the space. Mm-hmm. It doesn't spread. the like a virus. And yeah, so, so we need that. In terms of holding that space, I think one of the, this is probably very obvious to anyone that's looked at like nonviolent communication or worked on a relationship of any kind in their life. We just need to listen. People often aren't looking for advice. And so we need to be clear. Like when someone is sharing something really vulnerable, if they don't say it to me explicitly, like I want advice or I want to be listened to, I will often ask them, Do you want advice on this problem? Or do you want to just dig into it more and explore it further? So during our live calls, for example, somebody came one week and was like, I am, I think I'm just an anxious person and this job is really, provoking my anxiety. Mm-hmm. I don't know if there's any path forward for me. Oh my God. <laughs> and I've had these thoughts too. And so I'm like, I stepped back and said, do you want tactical advice here from the the group or do you, let's just, ex- or we can just explore this. And she was like, okay, let's start exploring it. And so instead I, I went into my coaching mode. <laughs> I've taken some uh, formal coaching training through collective training Institute and just asked her a lot of questions about this. Like why do you feel or not why questions are not powerful questions it's more what are you feeling in your body when you're feeling that anxiety or when was the last time you did not feel anxious did it have anything to do with work and yeah just getting clarity on the problem itself is so much more powerful than just being like go take a vacation go outside hug a tree (laughs) (laughs) and at the end of closing off that space because when you share vulnerably like that you can actually have a what's often termed like a vulnerability hangover, which you may or may not have experienced at some point, I definitely have. Where I'm like, I think I overshared. You start questioning, should I, I have they're... shared all that? Yeah. <laughs> so I usually just, I profusely thank anybody who's willing to go that deep. And like just last week, for example, I was let's all do a virtual hug <laughs> for this one person and we're going to hold them in our uh, thoughts this coming week. So I think it's really important to close that off and make sure people know and are validated for sharing those hard things.
1: Couple of things that, that come up there. Um, your opinion on virtual space versus a physical space. What's your take in terms of mm. the community fit? Do you think they're oh. the same or do you think there's there's a difference between the two?
0: This is not my feeling. This is social science. I've done a lot of research on this. It was actually like what I kind of studied in my master's program that I'm finally graduating from on Sunday. <laughs> Thank, Thank you. you. <laughs> Neither is better nor worse, and simplistically looking at it that way is not going to be helpful for anybody. What it depends on is who are you gathering. If you're gathering people who are geographically dispersed, obviously virtual is going to be an amazing option for you. Thank goodness we have that. If you're gathering people who are feel socially anxious, who are oftentimes like different, let's just say like neurodivergent broadly, this isn't true for all neurodivergent divergent folks, but a lot of them feel better in online spaces. Folks who have apprehension around how they communicate, things like that, as well as if you gather around a topic that is really sensitive. These are often better held in virtual spaces for a variety of reasons. We can control our physical environment during those Mm -hmm. times. We can take breaks if we need to. There's not as many cues happening, so it can be easier. I mean, if you're doing a video gathering, this is not is less true, but versus in-person, there's like distractions going on and like noises and you're trying to take in like the context of someone's entire physical being. It's a lot, but it does take longer to build up that trust virtually. There's been studies on that. It takes longer. So you need more sessions. You need to make sure that you're consistent and all that. Versus in-person, I think what's really powerful about in-person is, well, one, our bodies physically react to it. So we sync up. Mm. Like our heartbeats and all that much faster when we are in person. It still happens virtually, by the way. So that happens. And this sort of sense of serendipity is much more likely to occur in a space that's physical, Mm -hmm. like side conversations can happen and all that. So you can emulate some of that by having like keeping the chat on during your Zoom gatherings or whatever else it might be. So I don't, not, neither is better nor worse. I enjoy stewarding both of them. We have to start with purpose first, as as Priya Parker um, talks about in her book The Art of a Gathering. So start with purpose first, and then we can look at: is this better served virtually, or are we going to be better served by an in-person gathering?
1: I love that. So not, one is some better than the other one; it's just different purposes, different dynamics. Uh, but they both can serve.
0: Yep, the and people. especially as. More folks come online and the next generation is like starting to enter the workforce and all that. They don't see a line between physical and digital. Those two things are not necessarily like separate for them. The digital is an enabler for the physical. So they're not, we need both. We need a hybrid approach to what we do.
1: What do you think is the future of the community profession? What are some of the trends that you're curious about? In, what do you see community as a profession going?
0: Question. I mean, it's growing. It is for sure growing. It expanded quite a lot during the pandemic. And now we're seeing some, it's still growing overall, is what I'm mm-hmm. seeing, but there's shrinking happening in the immediate term. And I actually heard uh, one person who became a community builder during the pandemic say, I joined this because I wanted to be on the hype train. <laughs> like I found the bandwagon and now I'm not sure if it's right. And I'm like, well, honor that. So I think we're going to, we have already seen that happening in the short term especially with more artificial intelligence affecting all of our work and downsizing happening in a lot of companies, the need for skilled people is only going to grow over time. Mm -hmm. Now, I've always believed that community managers are future CEOs. If you can build relationships with customers and communicate really effectively and all that, like you will be an incredible CEO. So I think the community skill set needs to broaden out from, again, like that tactical stuff to this more like leadership focus, because our community skills also can be applied internally at our organization so that we can actually become leaders across the entire company. Now, the word community, I'm not so sure about it within the business context. I don't know if it's the word that we should continue with, frankly, because it's so, it's, it has limited us. It mm. 100% has limited us in our, impact and influence within for-profit organizations specifically.
1: In in what way, Seth?
0: It's, I mean, even the term like social media, uh, especially executives, when they hear like social media or community, they think, oh, uh, somebody who's just like straight out of college can do that really well. Yeah. Unfortunately, yeah, because it's not true and uh, it's not true at all. But what's interesting is that like CEOs will throw around these terms of community connection collaboration. Those are all things that we community managers create and enable, but they often don't, they're not thinking that the community manager is the one that does those things Mm. paradoxically. It's like HR and their social impact arms of their companies and all that. So there's a huge disconnect between what they think community managers do and then what we're actually capable of, if that makes sense. And so, yeah, I don't know if the title, like, I don't know if it's, So much of what we do is about transformation work. It's about engagement from a, you know, really broad sense. It's about strategy, business strategy. So I don't know if we'll get folded into like another department or whatever else that might look like, or if we'll have to come up with a new concept. But if you look at other industries like design and innovation, or not industries, professions, they've done a fantastic job of showing the value of their work. And now there's chief innovation officers at companies and chief design folks get paid a lot of money to do what they do when they're very good at it. So I just, I've been doing this now for almost 10 years and I have not seen community able to break through that and get the respect that it needs and deserves. I just haven't. And it's not from lack of trying. I know we're all trying really hard. (laughs) So I'm just like, I, I don't know what the answer to that is. But maybe it is just an issue of as we... Continue to age and all that, and move up the ranks in organizations. Maybe it will finally get the the respect that it deserves. But I'm not, I'm not convinced myself <laughs> so, yet. Yeah.
1: yeah, no, me neither. Uh, in the community space, also for a little bit, and yeah, feel the same sense. I share the same sentiment. It's yeah. that, it's not where we want it to be. <laughs> yeah. Because executives, leaders, CEOs, especially B2B, they have all their priorities. Revenue, profit, shareholder, value, and community, right? It's, it's like they idealize. Yeah. Maybe. But as we both know, it takes time to build really engagement.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And
1: I guess that does in align with their priorities.
0: Yeah. Or they don't even know... How to connect it because yeah. it does, it can connect to all of the things you mentioned that are important, like revenue generation and all that. But a lot of us don't know how to connect it to so even educate them about that, <laughs> which is why I teach the accelerator. And a lot of us, or a lot of them have no idea how it's connected. And so they just assume, oh, that's the fluffy thing that we do. And unfortunately, during this like pullback, a lot of corporations, a lot of community managers have lost their jobs. Uh, it, it's really yeah. hard.
1: It's going to without change, but you yeah. know. Similar to you, I'm begging on human connections, human relationship, especially as AI, all these t- technologies t- take place. Yes. Yeah. Community and human connection. I think that's at the core of everything that we do. Yeah. So hopefully that's my bet. And-
0: yeah. Same. I'm with awesome. you.
1: Awesome. Carrie, well, I want to try this fun exercise that I call rapid fire round where okay. uh, to, to wrap up it. So uh, basically, I'll ask you a question and you just give me a top of mind answer.
0: Yes, I'm ready. Let's go.
1: Uh, one book that had a profound impact on your life.
0: So many, but Adrian Marie Brown's Emergent Strategy is probably one of the most impactful from a community perspective.
1: Awesome. I'm sure to, to link it up in, in, in the show notes. Over the last year, any investments that you've made that has had a profound impact on you? And when I say investments, it could be something like financial, physical thing, a relationship.
0: I sign up for courses all the time. Uh, I'm like, which one has been the most impactful? I don't know. I've been doing, my my partner and I, because we're expecting a child, we've been doing the Gottman Institute's Bringing Home Baby workshop, which is not just about baby. It's really not about baby care at all, but it's actually about strengthening your relationship. And obviously that's, if not the most important relationship in my life, certainly in the top three. So having that strengthened strengthens everything else. So I'll go with Gottman Institute. Love their resources. Also very helpful for all community builders, whether you're looking at your own relationship or other people's.
1: I am going to check it out. Is there a world that you think of often or perhaps your life model that you live your life by?
0: The one that comes to mind for me, and this has been echoing in my head for a long time is from Shakespeare. Nothing is either good nor bad, but thinking makes it so comes to me all the time. So just all experiences are neutral. We give them meaning, good or bad. We get to decide how we react.
1: I love that. I, I think about that often too. Yeah. So but I call that you also have that. All yeah. right, next question. He, um, in the last year, any habit that you have implemented that has improved okay. your life?
0: I'll say prenatal yoga. <laughs> I've added that in a couple months ago, and you basically barely move at all, <laughs> which is my preference.
1: I, I second that. My my yeah. wife did prenatal yoga with her first, and she's doing it with her. So, um, good. and it's good from the exercise and movement perspective, but also from the community side, yeah. As well, right, because you you get to connect with, with other moms, and especially during this. Yes. Intense times.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. We get to commiserate and complain about our aches and pains. There's a (laughs) bit of that at the beginning of each yoga session. What hurts? (laughs) Yeah,
1: absolutely. (laughs) But last question and then we'll wrap it up. What do you find the most fulfilling about the work you do?
0: I would say the depth of conversations and relationships that I get to form with everyone that I work with. It's just so rewarding. I feel like my clients, they're not just clients. They're like, we end up becoming friends and staying in touch and all that. And we're all just, I'll, I'll randomly send like thoughts to former clients or students or whatever. And they'll send me kind notes all the time. So just like that kindness in exchange that's always happening in my world is really lovely. And I think I, t- I can take it for granted sometimes, but a lot of people mm. don't hear that kind of stuff often. Yeah. But we're all softies. <laughs> we all have our soft spot. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, we share gratitude a lot. I think community managers are really good at sharing gratitude openly with other people. So
1: yeah, keep doing that. Yeah, yeah, that's one of the things I, I love and, and admire about your work is that is you show your personality through your work. You're honest, transparent. You value relationships, mm-hmm. and you just don't talk about it. Like you actually follow your advice and try, it, you know, Fail it, a lot. <laughs> it, but that's part of the journey, right? It, it, I don't know. There's a lot of fake stuff out there. So thank you for bringing your authentic self into
0: this. My privilege.
1: Awesome. Well, to wrap up the episode, what would be your number one takeaway for other community management professionals as it relates to building their career?
0: Patience and grace toward yourself on this journey. It's going to take you on a winding course if you let it and if you really feel compelled by the work to stick with it even though things are right now are particularly difficult they will get better they will absolutely get better and that's not work that you have to hold alone so find other community managers if you don't already have a group of community manager friends you can meet them through uh, programs like like the ones that we offer you can meet them through facebook and there's a bunch of facebook uh, groups and things like that you having a posse of people around you is really crucial. So communities or community builders need their own communities as well to explore all this.
1: Awesome, Carrie. Well, thanks so much for coming on the show and sharing a bit of a journey into community. And where can people find you? What's the best way to reach out to you and, yeah, become part Um, of the community?
0: Yeah, so I'm probably most active on Instagram at Carrie Melissa Jones, um, but you can also find me on LinkedIn with that same username. Or my website, com, if you'd like to reach out that way and be emailed.
1: Awesome. Thanks so much, Carrie. And yeah, looking forward to perhaps doing updates once baby comes. Yeah.
0: <laughs> Thanks so much. This is really fun.
1: All right. I hope you enjoyed this episode and thank you so much for listening all the way through. I appreciate you and I hope that you got some valuable information that you can apply to your personal and professional life. If this story resonated with you and you would like to support the podcast, please make sure to subscribe so you don't miss out on any future episodes. Thank you so much for the opportunity. I appreciate you and I look forward to serving you in the next episode.